Beathard sets up deep in the pocket. Goes down the field for Smith. Ah, he's Fifty-six yarder. It's got no. Does not have the leg. And Chris Davis takes it in the back of the end zone. He'll run it out to the 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh my God! Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Don't miss a thing from the world of college football. Stay right here for College Gridiron on WFUV Sports. Welcome into another episode of College Gridiron, WFUV's main college football podcast. I am Jack Warner. I'm joined alongside by Evan Harkin and Chris Carino. We have a bunch of topics to hop into today, but before we get too far into anything, this is a fun crew, honestly. When I saw the assignments, I was really excited uh, to see the two guys that I was going to get to be, you know, having some good discourse about college football today. So, gentlemen, before we get any further, how are we doing? I'm doing great. Uh, like you said, great week in college football. We got another slate of good games coming up this week. Saw an upset last week. Uh, a lot of really good games. I'm excited. Yeah, we're really kind of getting into the weeds, the excitement of college football. It's a great time to make my college gridiron debut. I'm grateful to be here. This is a debut? Yeah, this is a debut. Oh, I, hell yeah. I'm just I'm just grateful to be down here talking sports. Honestly. Well, welcome Chris Carino. That Appreciate is so it. exciting. I had no idea. Appreciate it. So, yeah, a lot to honestly unpack from this past weekend. So I'm not going to have any little fun flirtatiousness with you guys, even though it's, it's hard. You're a couple of good-looking fellows. Um, we're going to get right into things because over the weekend we had yet another installment, possibly the last ever Big 12 installment pending who we see obviously in the Big 12 title this year but we saw one of the you know yet another installment of the Red River rivalry between the Oklahoma Sooners and the Texas Longhorns and the Sooners would come out victorious in a intense final drive by a score of 34 to 30 they knock off Texas give them their first loss of the year and i think guys it would be it would be putting it lightly to say that this game could really be chalked up to Texas finally, you know, facing a team with some real firepower and consistency through the air. Well, Jack, I know you were with me on Saturday, so I know <laughs> I you was, know actually. you know where my alliances lay. I just want to say before all of that, this rivalry cannot go away. They need to be playing this every single year. Oh, it's fantastic. It I think I was almost introduced to it in a timeline timeline of history with Brian Bosworth. I saw his game, saw how important that game was to him in uh what was the uh, documentary called? Uh it was Brian and the Boss. It was the 30 for 30. And you just showed the passion, the loudness, just all the emotions mixed up in this rivalry. It's absolutely fantastic and this installment showed it more than any others can. Um just going a little bit of a rant here. Steve Sarkeesian, he started out bold. He had that wide receiver throw. He had that fake punt. Everything was kind of, you know, he was playing it fast and loose in that first quarter. He really was. But this Sooner team, man, they flew so under the radar. Now, if you were paying attention, you knew they had some dogs on the defensive side of the ball. You just knew they did. And, you know, I want to shout out a few guys, Jacob Lan- uh, Jacob Lacey and Dejon, Der- uh, Dejon Terry, two defensive tackles, got their first sacks this, uh, you know, afternoon last week. And Gentry Williams picking off Quinn Ewers. I didn't even think Quinn Good get picked off. I just thought he was the golden boy, but <laughs> I was I was simply mistaken. Even though Quinn went thirty-one for thirty-seven, ended up having a pretty good stat line at the end of the game. But 
this Oklahoma Sooners team, the heart they displayed on on you know this Saturday afternoon was absolutely staggering. This is the kind of you know character makeup you can see in these college playoff teams, and they're number five right now. They're knocking on the door. I could see them entering that home very soon. Oh yeah, like you said, Chris, this this rivalry cannot go away. I think this was the best game of the year so far. I had so much fun watching it. I mean, it stayed close from start to finish. Exciting defense, exciting offense. All those turnovers were really exciting to watch. I didn't expect an Oklahoma victory coming into this one. I thought, like you said, Golden Boy Quinn Ewers was going to pull it out with the Longhorns. But, I mean, I thought they had a better QB playmakers, home for this huge rivalry game. Everything looked like Texas was going to win that game. But I think Oklahoma did exactly what they needed to do to win this game against a team that might have a little bit more talent. They won that turnover margin by a lot. That matters a lot in a college football game. Played a clean game. Had five less penalty yards, forty uh, five less penalties, excuse me, forty less yards. And I mean, you play that clean, run the ball, keep the ball in your offense away from the other team's defense style of football, and you can end up winning a football game like this. And check this out: Dylan Gabriel, twenty three of thirty eight for two hundred eighty five yards and a touchdown. Which that on its own against a team like Texas is fantastic. But then you take another peek down to our rushing yard leaders for Oklahoma, and guess. Who also leads in rushing yards? Yep, you guessed it. Dylan Gabriel with 14 run- carries of his own for 113 yards. So, yeah, ab- like an absolute star power game when you need it most because that is arguably your hardest. Con- if you're if you're Oklahoma, that's the hardest game you pro- you play this year. Yeah, the numbers are very flattering for Dylan Gabriel, but the thing that I think was f- the most flattering on that Saturday afternoon is watching him march down the field with a minute left. Get in the end zone. I mean, it almost felt powerless as a Longhorn fan. You just felt like he was going to score and he was not going to be denied. And I think that, to me, was the most impressive thing about Dylan Gabriel and really showed me that he deserves to be on the map. Yeah, Gabriel kept kept the ball with his offense. He didn't try to do too much. You know, had a lot less yards, had a way worse completion percentage than Quinn Hours, who threw for 350 mm-hmm. and at, on 83%, which <laughs> is very good, by the way. Yeah, but, but besides not playing up to his level, he played more than his level in terms of keeping the ball where it needed to be with him. Mm. I mean, he he played as not a superstar, but as a quarterback, which is how he had to play for them to win this game. Now, I think what this game does do is it poses two completely different, you know, uh, it, it, it poses different implications for each team because you look at Oklahoma picking up a huge win like this, especially in their first year under Brent Venables. And then on top of that, you look at a what I would call, even though as well as as Oklahoma played, a pretty epic collapse from Texas, having yeah. a lead that late in the game, giving you know letting letting Oklahoma like knife through butter, go yeah. down the field and and you know put together a game winning drive. I think one of the most interesting storylines of this game is the way in which this win for Oklahoma may start some conversations about their college football playoff projectability and how this loss for Texas I don't think at all you know fully damages their college football project uh, playoff projectability but does now start to bring some questions of what else has to fall in place the remainder of the year now for Texas to you know for for now it was you know going into this game it was what they have to do to keep the spot right now it's like what might they have to do to get the spot right and on the, on the sooner side of the ball and that kind of argument you look at them and you say 
well, they had their kind of heart ripped out of them a couple of years ago when Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams leave. I mean, that's just a culture shifter, and they were almost lost out at sea, out in the forest, wherever you, you know, whatever your preference is. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they've came back, it shows so much character in this football program that they're now continuing to be that powerhouse that they've been over the last 20 years. Now, on the other side of the ball, the Longhorn side of the ball, if you're on the one-yard line <laughs> and you have four plays and you want to be quote-unquote back— you need to get in the end zone, especially when Steve Sarkeesian's running wide receiver screens on fourth down on the goal line. I mean, it's just, it's almost mind-bottling how just uh, just boneheaded it is, and we'll get into some more boneheaded decisions in college football later. Oh, hell yeah. A little teaser, shout me out. Um, but <laughs> I do think that this Texas team, in these kind of positions, if they want to be that team, if they want to be this juggernaut, they need to capitalize on it, and I just didn't see that killer instinct that winner instinct, and I'm a little nervous about it. Yeah, from the Longhorn side, I'm not super worried about Texas after this. Like you said, Jack, this doesn't break, make or break them, this one exactly. loss. I'm not super worried. I mean, they have Quinn Hours, they have the golden boy, the guy that can get it done. He's an elite quarterback, but they definitely have to play cleaner. I mean, you have to go look at this game, and you have to say, we can't lose the penalty margin turnover mm. battle. We can't give up five sacks and get one sack. It was little things. It wasn't the big things that lost Texas this game. It was all the little things together. Now now that I said that I don't think it makes or breaks them, I think how they respond to this game will make or break them. I think if you come back from this game and fix all these little things and make sure you really have a focus towards that, I think Texas can be quote-unquote back. But I, I think if you can't get into their heads and let them know that they need to be more focused on the little things on that football field, then Texas will continue to lose big games. Because if you take a peek at how the rest of the season looks for Texas, you have they're on the road against Houston. They actually are off this weekend, so they get a nice little break after, you know, obviously a gut-wrenching game like that. So they're on the road against Houston the 21st. They're home against BYU the 28th. They're home against Kansas State November 4th. On the road against TCU the 11th. Uh, on the road against Iowa State the 18th of November, and then they cap off the season at home against Texas Tech on the 24th. So no, there's definitely no heavy hitters that remain on that schedule that will at least what one would consider I you know heavy hitters. However, again, all this loss to Oklahoma did was add pressure. It's not that it made the rest of the season any harder than it already was for the Texas Longhorns because, again, we're talking about how light the remainder of their season schedule looked. But it does add a very different layer to things. Like you said, it's a great point how they need to respond to a loss like this one yeah. because it's the, the MO is completely changed now. This was a team that a lot of people saw going undefeated in the regular season, having their conference championship possibly mean nothing. And now what we're seeing is hopefully after after the game that we just witnessed, I'm honestly hoping to see an Oklahoma-Texas Big 12 championship. And the the rest of the schedule after this is extremely weak. If you look at the schedule, it would be it would be an atrocity if they lose a game the rest of the season. So this was only the only real hump they had to get past, and they couldn't even get past it. They don't I, have a ranked opponent the rest of the season. Exactly, and I disagree with the two of you. They're dead in the water. There's no chance this team makes the playoff now. It doesn't. I don't care if they beat every team they play for the rest of the year by 30. They just have some sort of bias, and I just don't think with this loss they'll get in because Oklahoma will get in. Because I don't think they're going to lose a game the rest of the season either. I think Texas' season is completely chopped. Well, I think it's when you look at the college football playoff, and I think it's one of the most unique things just about college sports because you look at the rankings. You know, winning is not only important because it, it boosts your own record, right? It puts you where you need to be. That's the first thing you need to do is win games. Mm-hmm. But the less that you win, 
now the more that you have to rely on others to lose. Exactly. Because there are now other teams who, yes, could lose games this year. Michigan could lose to Ohio State this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they could. They I'm could. Not, they I'm could. not saying they will. Of I don't course. think they will. Of course I mean, they always could. Yeah, of course. But my point being, those top-of-the-line Big Ten teams who are right now sort of populating the top five, six, seven teams in the country – Penn State could lose a game the rest of this year. Mm. Ohio State could lose a game the rest of this year. Michigan could lose a game the rest of this year. But that's no guarantee. Right. So now what you're coming down to, because it, there is a lot of sensitivity when the college football playoff teams are picked. There's mm. a lot of sensitivity about, well, how good was the team you lost to? How many games did you lose? And you are right in saying that there are sometimes, well, there's no facts to back it, but I agree with you that sometimes there is a bit of a bias towards the Texas Longhorns. But what they really did in losing this game, and and again, it would be one thing if they got beat up. Like it'd be one thing if Tech, because Oklahoma's a phenomenal football team, so it'd be one thing if they just got beat up. But the fact of the matter is that they had a a lead late in the game and had one job, and it was to not allow a game winning drive, and they did the exact opposite. Right. And so now they have left their destiny up to other teams losing, which is say, yeah. never the position you want your team to be in. I was going to say, they took the destiny out of their own hands and they gave it to somebody else. I do think you brought up Michigan and Ohio State just on a, on a tiny tangent. I think Michigan can lose to Ohio State and still get in the playoff. That's how good they are. This Michigan team is from another world. Well, because I think that'll be their only loss. I'm, yeah, I'm 100%, incredibly I agree. confident in saying that that will be their only loss 100%. this season if they were to lose that I agree. Game. And I don't even think Ohio State even has a chance. Like, no chance. I, I think Michigan runs the table until they play those boys in Athens. So I think it really, it's almost an established four that we have here. A team like Penn State, I mean, they should say, really what, get that, in. Well, that's the, that's the, that's the, to me, Penn State poses more of a threat to Michigan than Ohio State. hundred percent, I agree. Yeah, I totally agree because I don't think that they have a like. I think they'll go undefeated. Like I don't think that they'll have a loss. And that I don't, that rivalry game, the rivalry, it, Penn State doesn't have anything like that. So I think you know they'll run the table. So and they're not really giving any reason for the committee not to put them in if they're undefeated as well. We know Penn State teams of the past they'll always give the committee a reason not to put them in. Right. This year it doesn't really look like they have one. Well, what's, oh, were you gonna say something? I was going to say this Texas team is definitely very wounded, but like you guys are saying, they need losses. If other teams can lose, I think they could still sneak in to one of those last few spots in the college playoff. Yeah. Let's say Oklahoma loses two games. They, they could lose two games. I don't know what their schedule looks like, but there are teams with a lot harder schedules left than the Longhorns like we went over. So like you guys said, it's in other teams' courts, but I think there's they, they can't give up on this season just yet. Well, I think an overarching theme of this episode with what we still have <laughs> let, you know, left to talk about is disappointment. And I yeah. think while we are talking about this being a very disappointing loss for the Texas Longhorns, we're going to transition mm. into what I think is a far more disappointing loss. And oh, that yeah. is for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, who I feel like have been in this position all too many times before where there's all the hype in the world, wind in their sails heading into this season, projectability out the wazoo, and it ends up crumbling at some point in the season. And over this past weekend, I most people, myself included, believe that they just stuck the nail in the coffin for their college football playoff hopes as they lose to the Louisville Cardinals the number 25-ranked Louisville Cardinals, a decent Louisville Cardinals team who started the year 6-0. It's their best start in about a decade. But nevertheless, a, t- a game that they should have won, they lose 33-20, to guided by an amb- 
a abysmal performance from Sam Hartman with a couple, you know, a couple picks. Still a decent amount of yardage through the air, 22 of 38 for 254 yards, a pair of touchdowns, but three interceptions to go along with it. What the hell happened? So before I say these mean things about Notre Dame, I just want to say <laughs> Sam Hartman, handsome guy, handsome guy, <laughs> he is. handsome guy, he is. he is. Three picks, but handsome guy. At least he, at least he looked good yeah. while throwing the ball to players that aren't wearing the same jersey. Yeah. So in case Sam's listening, I just wanted to say that before I go in. Okay, now I'll go in. The fact this team with two losses is still ranked right now makes me want to throw up. First of all, first of all. Second of all, I think, Jack, I love you, but when you, you understated Louisville heavily just now, this is a top 15 team in the country, maybe even a top 10 team in the country. This team's a juggernaut. I saw before the game, it was— Oh, I meant entering the game. They were like—that was more my entering yeah, the yeah. game analysis What I was going to say is Thursday or Friday, I saw on TikTok—I have one of these guys I follow on TikTok where he has a computer that makes his lines for the game. So you'll see you know, Vegas' line for the game and then what the computer kind of spits out. The computer was saying the wrong team was favored in this game. The Notre Dame Fighting Irish were like six-point favorites. Computer was saying Louisville was like a minus three and a half, minus four and a half. Louisville was the more ta- the more talented team. I don't care if you're playing this in Louisville in front of Jack Harlow or you're playing this in South Bend. <laughs> they're winning the game. Jahar Jordan, shout out Long Island, 21 carries, 143 yards, and two touchdowns. Dude's a monster. Yep. Dude is an absolute Beast. dog. This Louisville-Notre Dame game is the perfect amalgamation of why I think Notre Dame needs to be in the ACC first of all because they can't just keep getting skating by like this winning games in Ireland against West Point or whoever they like <laughs> maybe like what, what are we doing here second of all I do think that this Notre Dame thing what I, my relationship with Notre Dame I would uh, amalgamate it as inherited hate my dad doesn't have a college football team he's a proud graduate of Fordham University so he doesn't have a power five school he's really following the one thing he follows in college sports is hating the Notre Dame fighting Irish <laughs> And I have inherited that hate since I'm very young. And, you know, I, even on my sheet in front of me right now, I have Louisville versus The Evil. I don't even have their name. It's just The Evil. I hate this team. Love watching their downfall. And yeah, I had a good time Saturday. <laughs> I had a good time Saturday night. I was talking about how sloppy Texas was, but I, I didn't even oh. know you could get this sloppy. Oh. In a fo- five turnovers from the ND offense. You mentioned Hartman's three picks. I mean, Hartman's supposed to be an elite QB. He's supposed to be one of those top five, ten guys that can put your offense on his back and go win a game. Three picks, whether you're good looking or not, not going to win a football game like that. (laughs) I don't want to put all the hate on Sam Hartman. I mean, 44 rushing yards, that was the total for Notre Dame in this game. You are not going to win a football game with 44 rushing yards unless your quarterback's Caleb Williams in college football. (laughs) You absolutely need to do better on the ground. The O-line and the backfield needs to help him out if Notre Dame is going to do anything. I agree they shouldn't be ranked. I don't think they will be after this week. I mean, like we were talking about, the Longhorns have an easier schedule. Notre Dame does not have an easier schedule compared no, to other teams. This weekend is probably their heart. The, like, yeah, they needed is, to win this yeah. game. They They've already played Ohio State, too. Like, this is a difficult schedule. And blue, and, and, and royally blew it. Should have won that game. Yeah. It, you know, lost it in very... Let's say lost it in very Red River rivalry fashion, where late in the game on the final drive in some questionable play calling, like you know, putting ten players on the field. But that's besides the point. Um, and again, it's also not to be taken away from how dominant this Louisville team played over the weekend. You are you mentioned Chris that they deserve their respect, and that they do because you know Evan, you mentioned the importance of 
you know, the lack of ground game that they had. They held Jeremiah Love to 37 yards. This has been a really, really good, you know, running core for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish this year. And you're one of your, you know, they're, you're holding their main running back to 37 yards in a game. That's it's phenomenal. I mean, that's not, it's hard to, I, we can harp all day on how bad Notre Dame played, but at the end of the day, you know, you know, a, three picks out of Sam Hartman. If he doesn't throw those three picks, let's look at the stat line without the picks. 22 of 38 for 254 yards and two tutties. Not a terrible game. Honestly, yeah, an average fair. weekend yeah. for Sam, you know, in the life of the handsome Sam Hartman. But you look at how, you know, how well Louisville's defense was able to suffocate the running core and the rushing game for Notre Dame. That's a, that's a dominant win. And they did it in front of Jack Harlow, another good looking guy. <laughs> I agree. I mean, they're both handsome. But <laughs> kind of where I look at this game is just Notre Dame will continue to get exposed, especially if they're going to have these difficult schedules. I mean, they make their own schedule. They don't play in a conference. They could just not do this. But instead, they're <laughs> making these hard schedules, and they're going to keep exposing themselves. And obviously, you know, I have some th- sympathy for Notre Dame. They're in a new era. Obviously, their coach went down to Baton Rouge, kind of shook up their entire organization, and is kind of a new era of Notre Dame football. And I like where they're going. It seems like almost a tougher brand of football than I'm used to kind of growing up, but they're a long ways away from making any kind of noise any, anywhere near the national championship. Yeah, they need a better defense, I think, overall. like yeah. that. You can't give up 33 points to no. Louisville no. and expect Notre Dame, we're back, we're Notre Dame of the 80s. I mean, they need... They give up so many points, like in general. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the whole season, so many points. They definitely, they have to help Hartman out. He's not that good of a quarterback to put everything on his back. He needs a little bit of a running attack. He needs his defense to play well. They have to play well on all cylinders, and they really just don't have the firepower to do it against these good teams. Well, if that loss to Louisville isn't the the straw that breaks the camel's back in kicking them out of the rankings as you as you believe that they should, a loss this weekend would have to oh, because yeah. they because they're still not out. They they dropped from eleven to twenty one with that loss. So Committee now we'll put them at twenty five next week with three losses. Probably <laughs> that's the bias we're talking about. Yeah. Texas and and I mean I'm not I don't want to like put too much hope or put too much you know. I don't want to be too what if ism. This is still it. The games in South Bend really supposed to be bad weather conditions. There was videos about the USC kick returners. They were blowing water yeah. at them to mimic the rain. So, do I think that this weekend is a game that's not even worth watching? No, I wouldn't say that. I think also let's you know address the elephant in the room. USC and Notre Dame is a long running rivalry. It's a it's a fun rivalry. Really There's a fun. lot of great football in the past that we've witnessed when these two teams come together. But with all those things being said, I could not be any less confident in the Notre Dame Fighting Irish to come out of this upcoming weekend yeah. with a win after what we've seen, not just after last week, after the last three weeks, because you blow a game against Ohio State, who, again, Ohio State's a great football team. They blew it. And then, um, you know, every now and then, there's those ugly wins where you win a game and it's still not something to celebrate about. And that's exactly what their 21 to 14 win over Duke. I'm not I'm not disrespecting Duke. I am by no means calling Duke. Take. But 21 to 14 for Duke. <laughs> and they almost and and Duke almost came back in that one too. They almost yeah. lost that one too. That wasn't just like a, oh, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth and luckily Notre Dame had the ball last. Like no, that game came down to the wire too. So I have not been giving it. I have not been given a single thing over the past three weeks of Notre Dame football to believe that this weekend 
will result in a win for them. Right. I mean, if you watch the Colorado game earlier this year against USC, you know this USC defense isn't very good. You know there's going to be probably 100 points scored in this game. <laughs> but back to kind of piggybacking off what Evan said, this defense is not good. Let's put the arguably the best quarterback in college football history in front of them. Let's see what happens. Like I, I'm not a mathematician, but this math just isn't really math no, for it's the not. Notre Dame Fighting Irish. It doesn't really seem to be. I think that Caleb Williams is going to absolutely destroy Sam Hartman in this matchup. I think Sam Hartman might come out with three picks. I think he's definitely going to have a lot more interceptions than Caleb Williams. Uh, I mean, I, like you guys are saying, I don't think they have a chance. I don't think they have a chance no at chance. all. Well, that game will take place this Saturday night at 7.30 p.m. I want to transition yet again to another team royally, and I mean royally. Blowing it. Absolutely blowing it. And that is the Hurricanes of Miami University, who we're not even going to really go over the game because the game isn't what is important. It's the last probably 45 seconds of play of the game where Miami is taking on Georgia Tech at home. They have the ball and the lead with under a minute to go. Now you would think... In that setting, from years, I know we're not offensive coordinators. I know course we're not. college students. Yeah. I understand that we are armchair quarterbacks at the end of the day. I don't even know what a slant is. Yeah, exactly. Who? What the hell is a slant? You know, flea flicker? What? Why are we killing bugs? Anyway, <laughs> you would think in a scenario like that, just kneel it. Just kneel the damn football. That's what you would think, right? Because that's not what Miami offensive coordinator Shannon Dawson thought because – he decided that the offense should give the ball to their running back, Donnie Chaney, who would end up fumbling the ball, which, by the way, I as much as I'm clowning Miami, wasn't a fumble. Dude was down. Elbow clearly hit the ground. Interesting. He was – refs blew it. There were multiple people blowing it in that game. doesn't matter. You shouldn't have to leave it into the ref's discretion when the play call is that obvious. Anyway, whew, I'm blowing off steam. Donnie Chaney fumbles. Ball goes right back to Georgia Tech. And four plays later, Georgia Tech quarterback Haynes King throws a 44-yard touchdown pass with two seconds remaining, and Georgia Tech wins 23-20, to which has to be one of the most hilariously awful ending endings. Well, actually, awful for Miami. I think it's a very entertaining ending. I think it's hilarious to get to sit back and laugh, but that's also because Miami has no impact on my life. I, I slept the same amount of hours knowing Miami lost than knowing Miami won. Like, that's just how my life goes. Um, I just don't understand how anyone can rationalize, and this is totally intended to be more of a of a riffing conversation here. I don't understand how anyone... Can you think of a single situation where not kneeling the ball was the right play call? Because I'm truly... I'm lost for words. Yeah, I mean, I had major PTSD to some of my less finer Madden moments. That was kind of where my head just immediately went. That's how you know this is bad. Like, we can't even talk about real-life examples. We're talking right. about Madden. <laughs> right, right. Um, and just, you know, I'm going to talk a little bit more about them soon in our next segment, so I don't want to go dive too much into this current team. <laughs> but just kind of pulling it all the way back, just kind of thinking about this Miami program in general, it's one of those ones I root for. I'm a college football historian. I believe their 2001 team is the greatest football, greatest college football team to ever take the field. Great team. And I feel like, you know, even the past year when we talk about the U Part 1, if I'm going to, you know, continue to talk about 30 for 30s, it seems like my only 
only knowledge of college football is 30 for 30s. I promise it isn't. Um, I mean, it's not a bad way to know yeah, no, sports. Yeah, no, absolutely 30 for 30s, yeah, timeless. Shout out 30 for 30s, by the way. Um, but what I do think is these eras of Miami football, they're just so hot and cold. They're either getting sanctioned and they can't play in a bowl game for 10 years and they're one of the worst teams in college football, or they're an absolute juggernaut. It seems like for the first time this last 10 years or so, they've been living in mediocrity. And it's honestly depressing. It's depressing for me. Uh, I know people that go to Miami, they play at the Hard Rock Stadium, which is like 10 years away from campus, so no kids are even there. It's, <laughs> the entire situation is just, it's not great, and they really need to look at themselves in the mirror, really have some self-awareness about their football program if they actually want to you know, succeed and get better. But seeing them ranked, seeing a number next to their you know, logo and a score bug, it just made me happy, just made me feel of maybe a better time in college football. And this is a sad day. I was not one of these people laughing at them. I, I was just upset of how this, how this, you know, entire thing has transpired. In the words of SpongeBob, soiled it, soiled it, <laughs> soiled it. That's it, soiled it is the perfect amalgamation of what happened. I don't even think I could do what they did in Madden because the coach <laughs> suggestions are going to tell you. Yeah, to tell you the <laughs> so Good like point. even like the Madden video game is going to tell you the right thing to do. Right. Yeah. I and it's I, not that. I completely don't understand the play call. Point. That was a very fair point. Right before that, Miami was pounding the rock. I mean, it, it, it was very impressive to see them run the ball up the middle, same play every single time and, and get first down after first down. But I mean, at least tell them to go down. Or if you're that running back, at least know you have to go down. Why are you fighting for two yards in a situation where 50 yards wouldn't really matter. You just need to get rid of the clock. I can't tell if that was a fumble, honestly. I, I mean, the ball is definitely moving on his way down, but then he gets it. Like you said, you can't even put the refs in the situation to decide that, the yeah, game at that point. That's the point. I didn't like the call. Right. I, I personally, I don't think it was a fumble. Right. I, I mean, I'm no rules official. Same. I got to see a couple. You know, I got to see a couple replays. It very much looked to me like his elbow was down. Now. It's to me the only situation would be like, oh well, you know somebody cut you off in your dad's car while you're racing home because you're out past curfew. Yeah, it's not your fault that you crashed the car, but you're out past curfew. Like that's 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 quite literally what happened here. Yes, I don't like the call. I don't think the refs got it right, and I think it's annoying when there's a replay and they still get it wrong. But again. I've yet to find a person that doesn't think that this Miami offensive coordinator isn't an idiot for this play call. I mean, yeah, of course. I mean, this is, I'm having hot flashes back to defending Pete Carroll in 2014, but I seriously feel like it's not hard. Like, there's there's almost no angle you could look at this and be like, oh, running the ball is the right play. Like, at least, you know, I had bullet points of ways to defend Pete Carroll back in the day when I was a 10-year-old. But here, it's just, <laughs> I don't even know how you could defend this there's in no any sort of defend. way. I have more gripes about, you know, where they are in the stands and things like that in our next segment, but just in this game, especially against this team that they didn't play they played nobody this wasn't even a ma- this isn't an ACC matchup this is just it, it was just, it was so, it was sad to see well and the part that's the part that's also frustrating is you you talked about the excitement behind seeing a rather you know storied college football storied might be a strong word but a very respect no, no i'd storied. say storied story okay storied. storied's the right word storied college football team who's had down years, more of them than we'd like to you know, talk about, 100%. finally having a bounce-back year where, again, like you said, seeing the ranking next to their name and the score bug. I don't think everyone is te- really unpacking how costly this loss is because going into this game, they were number 15. That's a great ranking. And on top of that, you never know if you know Georgia Tech was unranked. So this was a game for them to take, blow it open, win it, get out. 
you don't you never know if a win there if pending any other team's loss you never knew if that could have moved them up better than 15 you know 13 14 whatever the case may be but besides the point they lose this game they drop from 15 to 25 so now they're 25 they're on the brink of exiting ranked being ranked and they have a date this weekend with none other than the number 12 University of North Carolina Tar Heels. Is it a game they can win? Absolutely, yes. Well, I still think North Carolina can will win the game, but is it a game that is just a lock for North Carolina? No, I think Miami can put up a fight in this game. But there's now so much more riding on a game that is already against such a damn good football team that you're now risking expulsion from the top 25 when you were all that you had to do was just beat Georgia Tech to maintain the 15 ranking you had or better. Yeah, one more gripe I have. They're one kneel away from being undefeated, and they're ranked lower than Notre Dame. Uh-oh, Notre Dame slander has returned. What are we doing? I mean, really, No, what it's are bad. We doing? It's really bad. I don't understand. This team would have been ranked higher than 15. They would have went up through subtraction, through teams, you know, not playing well or playing themselves out of it. Obviously, Texas slid down in the rankings as well. They would have found a spot closer than 15, but now they're ranked lower than Notre Dame? They suck. They did lose to Georgia Tech, though. Notre Dame didn't lose to Georgia Tech. If sure. you look at the very end of it, sure. losing to Louis They've only, that's, Notre Dame has only lost to ranked teams. But again, what is so frustrating, right. we, always, we always have these stupid arguments about college football. Yeah. And it's that there is so much unwritten and subjective decisions that go into what happens with regards to rankings, college football playoff, all of that stuff. Sports is usually, you usually never get more objective than sports because it's statistics based and, you know, you, you use that to make your judgments on what teams are better by record, by points per game, by, you know, whatever. There's all sorts of algorithms you can use to see who's favored, yada, yada, yada. But here, you have people who balance in, oh, well, they lost to this team and that's fine, but this team, you know, they may have lost two games, but this other team lost one game to a team that's not as bad as either of the two games that they lost and it's like okay well what do we value more here right that's what's tough that's why it's always a fun conversation because there's a certain topics where you debate on them and you feel like you never get anywhere aka half right. of american politics right and um actually more than half half is kind of being generous but this is another one where it's like okay it was it happened a lot with the college football playoff this past season where they included tcu as the lone big 12 resident i mean yeah resident and, you know, people were like, all right, well, would you have rather have an undefeated in the regular season Big 12 team or a one-loss or two-loss right. SEC team take their place? Right. And when we think about college basketball, that's also subjective. But you never hear anybody complaining about it. Never. I mean, obviously, the odd Syracuse won't get in one year and people will complain. But because of how big that sample size is in March Madness, everybody who has any sort of shot will get that shot. So nobody's complaining. The fact that they're still at four teams in the playoff, we're in the year of our Lord 2023, is absolutely absurd that they haven't evolved this in any sort of way. And I think the, the way to get through it and the way to get past it and the way to get everyone to stop moaning and complaining about it it's just expand it it's not hard it's not rocket science it's just look at the, your just look at your other sport counterpart and they'll tell you exactly how to do it 
Yeah. You agree. They definitely need to evolve the playoff. They need yeah. to make it more team. It would make everything better. I don't see any downside of it. I wanted to give a little love to Haynes King and Georgia Tech. Hey. I know we're talking very hey. very Miami here, yeah. rightfully so. Yeah. Shout out Mr. King. What a play by Mr. King. I mean, fantastic. that was all him. That was no lapse of the Miami defense. I went back and watched the play. The defense is in the right spot. It's just if you're playing deep zone coverage to prevent a touchdown, eventually someone's going to get open. And what does Haynes King do? Perfectly evades the pressure, make, creates himself an extra seven seconds, waits for a guy to get open on the run across the field. Absolutely threads Mahomes the needle. play. Like, if Caleb Williams did that play, it'd be all over all of our feeds right now. That was a great play. Well, yeah, and, they, and again, like, they're handed an opportunity by an, an unbelievable blunder from Miami. They still have to cash in. They're still you – know, that yeah. was a 44-yard touchdown. Yeah. So Sick play. In, in, a, in a situation where they needed a touchdown. So – very impressive play despite, you know, horrible, historically horrible play calling from the Miami offensive coordinator. However, besides all of that, Miami does take on North Carolina this Saturday night at 7.30 p.m. in Chapel Hill. Should be a great game. Now, guys, before we hit the road, because this has been a very fun episode full of great Great banter. This has been one of the more fun episodes I've been a part of. I knew that that was bound to happen with 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 you guys. We all came to the studio today with a game that we are encouraging you know listeners of this podcast to check out this weekend and who we have favored in those games. We're all making one pick for the weekend. No matter how big of the game, no matter how small of a game it is, we came with one that we think that you should watch. So we're all going to get into that. Right now, I will start off really quick with Kentucky Wildcats. Shout out my older sister, proud Kentucky Wildcats Shout grad. Out. That's part of you know what fueled my decision. It is one of the more niche teams that I follow throughout the year. Now, they come off of getting the absolute doors blown off them by the Georgia Bulldogs, which is an insane testament to how good the Georgia Bulldogs are so that like I'm not even going to like harp on Kentucky for losing 51 to 13 it's definitely not good you're in the SEC you should be able to compete but it's honestly not even worth no touching on because it's Georgia like it's it's freaking Georgia right anyway phenomenal team having a phenomenal year they get a nice under the lights home game against unranked Missouri it is an SEC matchup so you always can factor in just the fact that they see each other most years, maybe that's closer of a game than you think. But I think this team, with the momentum that they had coming off a just absolutely dominant win against Florida the week prior, you know, kind of ending the Florida mor- morale, kind of sending them down the road to eventually get knocked out of the rankings. I like Kentucky this weekend getting back in the win column. They don't get the perfect season this year, but do I think a one-loss season for this growing, you know, this exponentially growing Kentucky football program. Do I think a one-loss season this year is in the cards? I absolutely do. So I have Kentucky taking down Missouri at home this weekend. Big morale win. Get themselves back in the right direction after a blowout loss to Georgia. Yeah, I mean, we saw in the draft last year they went legit. They had their quarterback get drafted in a pretty premier spot. Obviously, Will Levis maybe in a long time, I don't remember a Kentucky quarterback being a household name like he was. So that kind of hole being left this year, the fact that they've been able to bounce back and play to the level that they've been playing has been extremely 
impressive. And just on the point you made earlier, it's also an SEC matchup. Urban Meyer once said, every play is like a car crash. And that is 100% (laughs) true. No matter who is playing, if they both got that SEC logo on their left shoulder, it's going to be madness. And it's going to be an absolute war. And yeah, just some good old-fashioned SEC football. I'm excited. And I think it's been fun to see how Kentucky has grown just throughout the 2010s because yeah. it feels like they have one sort of poster child player. It's not even just Will Levis. Obviously, the quarterback position, right. their most prolific has been Will Levis. But you think about even a few years ago with linebacker, current Jaguars linebacker Josh Allen, wow. who's an absolute stud oh, at Kentucky, wow. was setting all sorts of tackle records yeah. and just one of just consistently one of the best defensive players in the SEC and in all of college football. A few years prior to that, you had Benny Snell, who definitely was a better college player than he is right. an NFL player. But that still was great for the program on its own. He brought a lot of fuss around him. He was, you know, a big spectacle whenever Benny Snell was in town. So it's been really fun to see how Mark Stoops has grown this Kentucky program, made them initially, initially talking too fast, initially known as only a basketball school, and now really starting to see them as a sports school, as a basketball and a football school, which is exciting to see. But Chris, I pass it to you. What do you have your eyes on this weekend? So I've teased it only like 400 times during this podcast, but I want to revert us back to Miami, North Carolina. This ain't the real. This ain't the ACC we all know, boys. This ain't the ACC we grew up with. This ain't. This is no longer the All Clemson Conference. It's not that anymore. It's a different <laughs> thing. It's not the same. Two teams that are ranked that aren't Florida State and Clemson in the ACC almost unheard of. But when I look at this game, first of all, in an important sense. This Luke May is being tested really as much as he can for the first time. These are the kind of games that really affect draft position and really can shake up that draft, especially a guy like Drake or like Luke, who really is. Did I just call him? I'm calling him Drake, Luke May. Drake it's Drake, Drake, Drake May. May. Yeah, shout out Luke May, though. Luke <laughs> May's sick. Um, Drake May, the younger brother of Luke May. This is the kind of games that draft order really gets thrown around, gets mixed around, and really could have some serious implications, not only in college football, but the NFL as well. Miami, as I said before, very underrated in the polls. They're not the 25th best team in the country. They're a top 20 team in the country. I firmly believe that. And now they're going to have to go on the road to play a top 12 team in the country. Big test for them as well. This game really highlights just how di- just how different the ACC is and how much it's evolved in the last year or two especially. Obviously, we saw Florida State kind of take the keys to the castle against Clemson down in Death Valley a few weeks ago. But really, you could just see the ACC is evolving into a really beautiful football conference, which is just amazing to see. UNC at home, it'll be interesting interesting to see how Miami bounces back from such a traumatic loss. I mean, just on an emotional level, that game, I know everyone's making fun of them. They're the butt of every joke around the country. I, on a psychological level, I want to see how they play and how they bounce back from that. And just to you know, end it off and cap it all off, Tez Walker is free. Tez Walker has been barred from his eligibility all year long for transferring, and he's had a bunch of mess and a bunch of drama, and it's been all unjustified. It just It's been, honestly, it's been gross just how they've kind of treated this young man down in Chapel Hill, and Tez Walker finally got his eligibility. I don't know if he's going to play or not. I honestly don't know what his status is for the game Saturday, but just to have him in the program, have him on that sideline, this UNC team is going to be fired up. And with Drake May, I mean, the sky's the limit for this UNC team. Yeah, I'm super excited for that one. Excited for the whole ACC, like you said, Tez Walker. A lot of big things to go into that one. Sticking to the teams we already talked about, I'm going USC-Notre Dame for this week's game. Uh, like we said, Notre Dame needs a win. 
Notre Dame absolutely needs to win this game, but I don't think they will. Uh, we all don't think they will. No. I think it'll be a very high-scoring matchup. I think even despite the weather problems, both of these defenses, I think, are no match for both of the offenses they're facing. So I'm excited to see the scoring that should come about in this one. I think it'll be, I think it'll be, I think it'll be around 42. I'm going to say 32. I think it'll be up there in those scoring ranges. But I mean, if you're Notre Dame and you want to be ranked and you think you should be ranked, you have to at the very least make this a good game. I think what we all don't want to see is USC come blow the doors off of Notre Dame, which I think could happen, but I really hope Notre Dame comes into this game at home. I think at home, primetime at night helps them a lot. I think if it was in USC at night, this would be a totally different game. But I'm hoping that their home field advantage and just their hunger that they should have propels them to make this a really good game. Good picks all around from the guys. I do just want to highlight two games right before we get off of this episode Washington State travels to Oregon this weekend which I think will be a phenomenal game the Pac-12 it's been a little frustrating to see how good the Pac-12 has panned out to be this year you know given the fact that it's getting basically not going to be a thing next year but nevertheless Washington State who's been an exciting team to follow very this year, fun. very exciting team yeah. to follow this year they travel down to Oregon I do think it'll be Oregon by the skin of their teeth but who knows I mean it's shout out to Pac-2 Shout out the Pack 2. Shout out the Pack 2. Those two teams are fun and they do not like each other. I love it so much. Shout out the Great Northwest. And then one last thing of the current Pack 12, obviously again, this won't be a thing soon. UCLA travels to Oregon State. Number 18 versus number 15. That's under the lights 8 p.m. on Saturday. I, I I'm I'm stuck. I I like UCLA. Ooh, I like UCLA. I like I I, I that's sharp. You 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 like sharp. Pick, pick. I feel like I can't pick the home team in both games. So if I have to pick the road team in one of them, I'm taking I'm taking UCLA. UCLA is very sharp this week. Yeah, I think I'm going to Oregon State. I mean, they got the quarterback. He's been playing well. I, I don't know. I think they they take it away at home this week. So yeah, I mean, really exciting slate of games ahead of us. That will just about wrap up this week's installment of College Gridiron. Check in with us next week as we get, you know, break down even more, hopefully less disappointing college football stories than we unpack today. College Gridiron is a product of WFUV Sports. We are saying so long. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you for, for tapping in.